Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Timothy Gordon here with a special treat for you today. Mr. Edward Penton, one of my longtime favorites, National Catholic Register and EWTN. Mr. Penton, welcome today. You need no lengthy introduction. Hope you're well. It's kind of you, Tim. Good, good to meet you at last and uh, be on the program. You too. Yeah, the strange thing about doing what we do is that you, you meet lots of uh, friends, as it were, <laughs> that uh, you talk to on DM or text message or on Skype, telephone or something without actually meeting face to face. So, hey, you know what I've said before and I'll say it again, like the lost years of Obi-Wan Kenobi in form and matter, in body and spirit, uh, Mr. Edward Penton. <laughs> hey, you're too kind. I don't think I'm bad, but, uh, yes. No, I mean, his, his mien, his approach, his equanimity, and uh, a, a little bit the looks as well. I said kind of episode three and 3.5, Obi-Wan Kenobi himself on Catholic Reportage. No, it's, it's, uh, I've, I've watched you for a long time, man, and I know that, that my viewers are all people that admire you and Raymond. And it's, it's just, it's really an honor to talk to you. And now that you have this book out, The Next Pope, yeah. people are probably asking you, for starters, what, what do you know about the end of this pontificate, which you don't know anything necessarily? <laughs> I don't. No, and this book um, is not really about this pontificate. It, it is all about the next one. And it's, it's, um, it was written really to, to get... Uh, to allow the cardinals to have the full um, breadth of, of who they could be voting for and have all the details at, the, at hand so that they can make an informed decision. Uh, obviously, we've got 19 candidates. That's a, a rather small percentage of, of the full uh, college of cardinals. But we hope that it will provide that, that um, necessary uh, information for them and, uh, and give them what they need to make, a, as I say, a good good informed decision because that has been the problem in the past that they haven't had the details they haven't had the information so so this really aims to fill that gap yeah i'd like to move with you chronologically and as tolkien writes the the best place to begin is precisely at the beginning so this pontificate really begins um at the end of the last one because we're talking about the the end of francis's pontificate can i start with a, a few a couple things you say about the late pontificate pontificate of Benedict the 16th. You say the joke around the Vatican is that the Pope isn't sick until he's dead. Mm. Well, starting in proper etiology, proper beginning, I would say a Pope won't and cannot die until he at least falls sick, or, or even a Pope cannot get sick until he gets sick. And Benedict the 16th, who retired under unique circumstances, let's say, mm wasn't sick the first seven years after his pontificate. It's seven, you know, seven and a half, eight, eight years later, and he is only now showing signs of slowing down. Is this ipso facto proof that we didn't get the whole story with regard to his abdication? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think um, at the time he certainly felt very weak. And if you see the pictures of him at the time of his resignation, he did look very frail and really quite sick. Um, and I think he felt he only had a few a few months or years left. Uh, and then, of course, once he'd retired, I think he managed to get back his energy and, and actually sort of recovered from that. And so I, I think he 
<clears throat> I think he genuinely thought it was the right thing to do and that he felt he could not continue physically to do it, as he said. Um, and so that's why he resigned. And now, now of course, he really is getting uh, frail again. Um, but uh, as we heard uh, yesterday, he's, he's, uh, he's getting better from that recent sickness. So, so he seems to be uh, doing all right at the moment. Good Teutonic immune system, evidently. Yeah. You, you quote in the book that uh, perhaps this was your article. It was either chapter one or your article on the book. Pope Francis said something to the effect of another Peter will return to Abu Dhabi after uh, leaving Abu Dhabi last, sometime last year. And that the abdication of Benedict XVI could well become an institution, something that we expect maybe more than a leitmotif. If so, would that uh, be smoking gun evidence that Benedict the justification was secondary. Uh, you mean that he was intending to create this sort of institution primarily? Of a, yeah, kind of serial serial abdication from yeah. hence, henceforth. I think that was part of it as well. I think his um, because he's written he wrote about this this whole issue of of uh, Pope Emeritus, or at least he sort of touched on it back in the. I think it was in the 1960s. I mean, he's he's had this view uh, for a long time of, of of a pope resigning, and right. I think part of him, and I think part of his sort of intellectual makeup, and perhaps being a German theologian, also plays into this. That he felt uh, it was he could sort of um, trail, be a sort of trailblazer for for a sort of resigning popes, and I think he he wanted to do that and sort of uh, set set the example and set the uh, become the first pope for well no no pope has really resigned in the way that he has and so uh i think he he wanted to sort of lead the lead the way on that so yeah i think that was part of it um but i don't know how much that i mean he didn't obviously mention that in his resignation speech and he didn't he hasn't um said that openly that that's what he was planning to do um but but that certainly is what what has happened and that has been the the consequence of his resignation yeah so 19 possible papabili, and you say you expect a less progressive next pope oh, oh, in some. So I, I hope you're right. What does that mean about the two that I take to be papalissimi, uh, Peter Cardinal Turkson and yeah. Cardinal Togle? What, what does that mean about their chances? Because aren't they both quite progressive? Would that mean that they're less papabile than everyone has been assuming thus far? Well, I mean, I don't really want to get into my sort of guesswork because it's it's anyone's guess, Richard. Sure. Sure. It's a papala game and it's, uh, as somebody said, it's a bit like throwing darts at a dartboard. You have no real idea um, of the likelihood of anyone really uh, being elected. But I think... Um, my my sense, though, from what I hear here, and the, and the fact that people have been concerned about the, the direction of the pontificate and the and the turmoil that there's been during this pontificate, I think there's there there is a sense in among many in the college that they want to to for the papacy to swing back to a more conservative pope and somebody more uh, a safer pair of hands and someone more um, perhaps diplomatic and. Uh, and a sort of quieter pope, not not so revolutionary. And I think, I think that tends to be the case. As I said uh, before, 
you know, the old Roman saying, a fat pope follows a thin one means that, you know, <laughs> a, a progressive pope will follow, tend to follow a, a conservative one and vice versa. And, uh, and that's what I think we'll have here. So that's, that's my guess. But of course, as I say, it's anyone's guess. And, uh, uh, but it, but that is based on some things that I've heard from here, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the, supercilious nature of the voter, whether we're talking about a hundred some odd voters or 200 million, the ballot box tends to be overreactionary, doesn't it? It's, it's funny as we come up to the American election, which is certainly slated for this year. Yes. It's, uh, I mean, it's not so similar to, I mean, it, there are similarities to the arena, but I don't know if it, um, if it plays out exactly the same. Uh, and of course the way, Pope Francis has made up the the college with his with his appointments um, does of course impact that too. Though a lot of them do come from the global south, and so they tend to be more conservative, and I think that also pushes it more in a in a more conservative direction for the next uh, the next conclave. Yeah. Certainly. So we know that at the last two conclaves, there were members from this now reputed Sankolan mafia. And that was, and in each case where Bergoglio uh, ranked second in the voting when Pope Benedict XVI was eventually elected, and then obviously he ranked first in the conclave which elected him, the Sankala Mafia proved determinative in both of those conclaves. Could the, I don't know how you want to look at it, the consistories that, that Francis has used to elect so many of his personal choices, could that well carry forward the work of the Sankt Gallen Mafia in the, in the next conclave? I don't know if it will directly, but I think they could be, they could be susceptible to influence from, from people in that sort of group who will want to push uh, the conclave in a direction towards Francis and his direction and his, and his vision for the papacy and the church. And I think that that could happen. Um, but I don't really... I don't see a sort of St. Garland group, uh, at least obviously it's hard to sell because I tend to be secret, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I don't know if they're going to try that again. I, maybe they will. Um, certainly there's always a bit of lobbying that goes on outside the conclave and uh, and that that's on both sides. I mean, it wasn't just um, the St. Garland group. There were also uh, people who were keen to get uh, Benedict elected and of course fought off the St. Garland Mafia in 2005 um, and successfully, and that was because they they sort of formed a group to do that. So, so yeah, there will be those groups probably, but um, but it's anyone's guess how how effective they'll be in a, in the next conclave. Yeah. Speaking of which, I believe it's footnote number one in your book states that Pope Francis has opted against uh, preconsistory meetings. Mm. Is this or could it be a, a reaction to same, the, the St. Gallen Mafia, uh, the, the, the publication and wide notoriety of the St. Gallen Mafia? Well, it could be. I mean, that's a that's a positive way to look at it, that uh, the Pope is trying to stop those sort of groups from, from developing. And that that could well be. I think, though, it's more likely because of the timing when he stopped those, which was after the dubia, um, there was a wide sense that he he didn't want those meetings because he didn't want um, to be confronted with uh, any sort of criticism for his for for the dubia and for the amoris laetitia at the time um, 
And so whether that's true, I don't know. But it did, the timing does seem to coincide with that, and that he stopped those meetings. There. Now, somebody said it was Cardinal Branwell was all getting all ready to, to uh, confront him at one of those consistory meetings, and that's why it was cancelled. But I, I don't, I don't know if that's true. But certainly, uh, it could be. It could be true. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think too. Uh, the, the greater skeptic, greater part of the skeptic, anyway. What does that mean exactly to get ready to confront someone verbal? I mean, all you do is just like. Are you warming up your your voice or what? All you do is, hey man, there. You know, you, hey Holy Father, can I address you on on a point in a posture of filial piety? You have to say all the extra stuff, but uh, I, I wonder what that means. Puffing out his chest or lifting weights? He's bent, getting his bench up. What do, what do you do as a cardinal to address the Holy Father with, you know, the the, the claims as hotly disputed as those between 2016 and 2018? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, but uh, but the thing about Pope Francis does seem to be that because he is not as an expert theologian, he does feel vulnerable at being yeah. confronted with obviously someone of great knowledge and uh, and scholarly background as Cardinal Branmuller, and so um, you know it it it's a it's a certainly a vulnerable position that he feels he's in. And he, he tends to avoid those sort of those sort of situations. I think. Yes, when when you're in a vulnerable position, anytime you're you're treating of a topic where you've you pledge not to speak one word, if if anyone is asking mm. for for a word or more, it puts you into a position of automatic vulnerability. Speaking of which, yeah, uh, what will we ever, in your opinion? see one corpuscle, one letter, one jot, one tittle of the McCarrick report? I guess it depends on the next pope. Well, uh, there are rumors that uh, it could be coming out at the end of the month. I don't don't think those are, are perhaps very well-founded, but there, there's certainly rumors that that could happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, there, there's all sorts of theories, and nobody really knows really how far they've got or whether there's any real likelihood of it coming out. But... Uh, I think there's going to be consistent pressure. I don't think the faithful are going to give up on this. And I think um, the Vatican is going to have to respond in some way uh, in the next few months uh, to, to tell us, you know, what, what's happened to the report and what they're going to be doing about it. Um, I, I think it will come eventually. Um, uh, but who knows how, how thorough it's going to be and how really it's going to reveal... Um, what really went on with McCarrick? I mean, like, look, here's, here's my approach. And I, I know, you know, we've, we've spoken a lot um, offline, but I view the number one most important event in the last decade easily, in the Catholic world anyway, maybe the world, is Benedict's abdication. Mm. And number two, that crowns all the Francis stuff, all the, the wackiness and irregularities and disconformities with regard to the pontificate which followed Benedict XVI's abdication. I think the abdication itself is it. And I think it's like uh, the purloined letter, Edgar Allan Poe's purloined letter. It just hides right there on the mantle. It's still conspicuous to me. I think that's that's most important Catholic tidbit of news in, in a decade. And I think number two is a similar purloined letter that just hides there on the mantle in plain sight is 
all all the McCarrick stuff and and Francis's election continued daily election into the present, not to say one word. Am I uh, so when when a book like yours comes out and many people are are, are keen to read it, I don't want to be accused by my my opponents of obsession or being backward looking or any of that that kind of stuff. But I feel those two events over the last decade, and I think I represent a, a constituency of, of, of people that agree with me, we don't have answers to either of those two things fully. Like, how is Benedict the Sixteenth? Yeah. And look at the borderline abuses or, or outright abuses of the guy that replaced him. Am I, am I off base? Because everyone seems to have just moved past it, and to me, they're purloined letters that I keep my gazes fixed on the mantle. Mm, mm. You you mean those those issues really haven't been dealt with? You think before? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I agree. I th I think um, the trouble is these issues, and there's so much about, like this in the Vatican that uh, you know it's a bit like um, like studying the Kremlin. It always has been, and it's it, it's very difficult to get to the to the real truth about this because there is quite a lot of of secrecy and a, a lot of things that are kept behind closed doors, and so. Unless people are willing to come forward, often you're not going to actually get uh, to know the true facts. And I think probably though with Benedict, once he gives his spiritual testament when he after he dies, we might get some real more in, more information on what really happened and why he uh, he resigned. But of course, every time we we question Archbishop Genswein or or anyone close to Benedict, uh, you know, why did he re resign? They always say, you know, well, he's already said, you know, he's given all the, all the reasons uh, that he, he means, and there's nothing more to say. And in a way, perhaps we should just um, take them at their word, I mean, because that's that's what they frequently say. Um, and and also, that also sort of ventures into his, um, his resignation and whether he truly resigned and all of that. So... Um, I think that's that's basically what we have to to uh, to accept right now, and then see if if he might say something in a spiritual testament. I think that's probably the greatest hope of getting more light shed on on what really happened there. Have you spoken to? I'm sure it would all be offline and you know off record, but with regard to the two of the four surviving Dubia cardinals. Have you spoken to them about their expectations in regard to the topic of your book, the 19 most papabile uh, cardinal candidates? Mm. Uh, no, but I know that they, uh, they're very interested in it. They, they, they like the idea. Um, and like many cardinals, they, they really want to know more about their brother cardinals because they just don't know who they are and they don't, they've never met them often. Um, and they think this could be, or, they hope it will be a a real service to them and to their brother cardinals. So yeah, they, they, they welcome it, and uh, I don't know any cardinals who who have not welcomed it. Um, not that I've heard many reactions yet, but they're they're all um, they will all have a copy, I think. So so yeah, the next pope. Yeah, it, it's oh, I haven't gotten all the way through it, but an important book to be sure. You you say repeatedly yeah that certain topics by certain cardinal candidates have been assiduously avoided. And we know the topics and we know why they'd be assiduously avoided. Abortion, contraception, homosexualism. Uh, it, will this, do you think, 
And I know it depends on the deciding governing constituency that gains power, the voting bloc. Do you think this will work in the negative against those progressive cardinal candidates that refuse to speak on these real life issues, the real issues below the belt? Well, this is what we we think the the book, this is the, how it will serve a purpose, a particular purpose as well. One of them um, is is in basically showing what they really believe and how much they believe it and what sort of priorities they place on these things. And it's interesting because a lot of the, the cardinals who, who are weak on contraception, for example, and humane vitae, <coughs> I mean, this has been a litmus test for a long time, but um, it's really quite interesting how, how those who are weakest on it um, tend to have the most sort of questionable teaching and uh, in, in all sorts of ways, whether it be um, filter out into, into the position on abortion or, or um, same-sex marriage or, or women, women deacons even. You know, the whole, the whole gamut really, it comes into play. And so, yeah, we, we, we were hoping that that, that will be, um, will give sort of good benchmarks on whether you know what exactly what they believe and whether they have what it takes to be pope and uh, but we're not doing it from a conservative way a position because we really want to just lay it out there and so the reader it leaves the reader to make up their own mind and if you know what they can find you know what does this cardinal uh, believe on on uh, on migration and religious freedom for example and from that they can get a good idea of really where they stand on all kinds of issues uh, so it's a bellwether of sorts, and it makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. So it's um, it's but it, but we don't uh, give a sort of conservative angle. Some have said, "Oh, it comes from a conservative position." Well, we put in issues which are of concern to to many people naturally, um, but whether they're in tune with the with the magisterium or not, that's really what you get to see. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I knew I, I knew going into this, you wouldn't want to. Uh, render your analysis subjective. You didn't want to say, "Hey, this is this is my guy." You know, the Vegas odds are high on this guy right now. To bet this, papabile. Uh, right. So, yeah, I, I didn't want to ask you too many questions in that trajectory. But the the basic idea for my viewers: the next pope by Edward Penton is the nineteen most likely guys. It's it's would be highly likely if we took like a standard deviation that one of the popes, that it's possible, the pope could be selected from someone outside this circle. But you did your research as a way of closing. Just just give us a research methodology into, into your own mind as you wrote it. How did you land on these 19 guys to research? Right. Well, I should say that I came to this um, later on in the project. It was already started um, when I came on board, and it, actually a lot of the cardinals already been researched and chosen. So, um, although I agreed with them, uh, uh, they were mostly done by others, and, and the research has been done um, by a lot of uh, very good, uh, scholarly, committed, faithful who who've um, who looked into them. And uh, so, yeah, that that's that's been the background, and that's why um, uh, I I sort of all together and and filled in a few gaps as well but it's um but yeah that that's the aim that's that's the essence of it yeah well i certainly appreciate your time this book will be looked on late late 2020 i think as an important release 
We don't know when the end of the pontificate will be for a couple reasons now. Prior to Benedict XVI, we, we would say we, we don't know when the end of any pontificate is for, for one reason, right? No man knows the hour of his own death. But now it's like doubly likely. And I think, uh, I think people are going to look at this time period as being marked starkly, not only by this book of yours, but by your work, especially in the Francis pontificate. It's, it's just, it's a solid, solid body of work, excellent body of work. And I, I'm a big admirer and I've, I really appreciate having you on today. Sure. Thank you for having me on, Tim. Great to talk to you.